Welcome to the Hallisey and Horn podcast, hosted by Matt Hallisey and Al Horn. This is the only entrepreneurial podcast that helps you take the most important step to finally achieving financial and personal freedom. What is that step? Well, it's the very next step you need to take. It doesn't matter whether you've started a business but aren't profitable, or you've only just now thought about starting a business for the first time. You can design your new life in just a short period of time. We both started multiple profitable businesses, and we're here to help you move closer to your goal of living the life that you've been dreaming of. The crazy thing is you don't need to be especially talented, experienced, smart, or even lucky to make this happen. You just have to take the first step that's in front of you. So grab a drink and join us while we discuss our own journeys from working for other people as employees to living our dream lifestyle as business owners. We share our successes, our failures, and the simple formula we've discovered to go from starting from nothing to having our own profitable business in just a short period of time. We're here to help you move closer to your goal of living the life that you've been dreaming of but we're always scared to go after. Welcome to the Hallisey and Horn podcast. All right, so let's, all right. So you had sent me a text last night and um, it's kind of an interesting article uh, we were talking about. And I, initially I wasn't sure how it was gonna relate to, uh, to entrepreneurship. So I'm just looking at kind of the text that I sent you. Sure. Um, and the name of the article, wait, let me pull it up here. Oh, right, wrong. Strategies for reinventing I, your career clicked, in uncertain times. On, yeah, I clicked on a link and it went to Yelp because I, my wife and I were trying to figure out. Today's our anniversary. Oh, yeah. Congrats. So we're gonna go out to dinner and we were trying to figure out where to go. And so she mm. sent me this place via Yelp. And for whatever reason, I thought your link was this link. So I opened it up <laughs> and it popped the Yelp app open. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's probably not the same. No, one. no. I'll tell you what it is. It was from the Harvard Business Review. And <clears throat> I almost sent it to you really tongue in cheek. I put a little wink, a smiley wink after it saying, this is advice from Harvard. Can we do better? And right. uh, so I sent you the link because I happened to just see it. It's one of those things you see when you browse and I don't know if it's curated. I don't know if they know who I am or they know what I'm interested in. I don't even remember how I got to it. <clears throat> I think it was on pocket. But anyway, um, which is something else that pops up as part of uh, Firefox. And again, I don't spend much time with that either, but it does, some things pop up and you just, and if they're interesting, I'll go take a quick look at them. So this was a writer basically flogging uh, her own book, you know, which writers do. But it's from Harvard Business Review, hbr.org. I'll give them a plug. and. Um, so in the process of looking at it, of course, they pitched me a bunch of their other newsletters, which I signed up for at an email address that I only used for that. I've got about 12 or 15 of them over the years. They just accumulated, but, and I use them for different reasons, but I sent it to that. So it won't interfere with other things that I'm doing. Sure. Uh, but anyway, uh, I thought it was a short article. It had some salient points. And like I said, I sent you the link because I thought, number one, we could talk about whether these, these, these suggestions or recommendations they're making are really 
useful? Are they uh, pertinent? Do they apply to entrepreneurs or do they apply to people that are just changing their career? Mm -hmm. Which is something we've talked about. There's career change and then there's career change from what you were doing to being an entrepreneur or being on the entrepreneurial path. Right. You yeah. just got the idea to be an entrepreneur, but you're not really. So they covered, it was a very short, concise uh, article and they covered some good points. And I wanted to, uh, wanted you to take a look and see if those points were uh, pertinent to being an entrepreneur and entrepreneurship and what you thought about it. Sound is off. Sorry about that. There you um, go. Uh, yeah, so it was interesting. So initially my first thought was when i read it i was like oh this is this is kind of more of a job seeker email mm -hmm. and i was like all right i was just you know just kind of reading the intro and i was like all right it just seems like it's aimed toward job seekers and people who are like <clears throat> you know maybe have lost their job or had some negative job outcome in the last mm -hmm. what, six to eight months roughly mm -hmm. <clears throat> but then i read the bullet points and they kind of they transitioned well into you know, kind of people who would have more of an entrepreneur bent. And I think <clears throat> the people that wrote the article probably meant it, you know, kind of more broadly. So it would incorporate people who are looking for a new job or a better job and people who <clears throat> may just decide to take a left turn in their career. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't mind, I want to just hit on at least the first one they talked about. <clears throat> sure. Which I thought was actually really good <laughs> advice in general. Forget about jobs, but they, they say number one is explore a range of options, including the unthinkable. Um, <clears throat> and they say a lot of us avoid our worst case scenarios. <clears throat> so we try to think, let's say, for example, you lose your job, just using their, their approach. <clears throat> a lot of us don't want to say, well, I'm going to be without a job for two years. Mm. Well, you just don't want to think about it because it's a negative thing and it bums you out and it you know, peas in your Kool-Aid, so to speak. <clears throat> but one of the things they talked about was the importance of doing that is that it enables you to be prepared with an action to take <clears throat> should a negative outcome occur. Mm -hmm. So realistically, if you look at it from like a risk management standpoint, <clears throat> let's say, for example, you have anything. It doesn't have to be a job. It could be anything. If you say, okay, what's, the, what's something that, I, that I'm hoping is going to happen, that I'm going to work towards going to happen? Well, mm -hmm. if that happens, then great, you're all set up, right? Because it works to your advantage and it benefits you. But <clears throat> if you start to plan on things that you're not necessarily prepared for, and you actually start to prepare for those things, when those things occur, <clears throat> first of all, they're going to be negatively, they're going to be emotionally negative and traumatic. And so generally in those instances, people's thinking just is clouded and it sucks and they make bad decisions. But when you actually start to think, okay, what would I do if this happens? You actually have a game plan ahead of time. And um, ironically, what I was thinking about was like, I remember, gosh, a number of years ago, or actually, yeah, it was kind of when I was like growing up as a kid even, or in high school was, you know, one of the positions I play playing baseball is third base. Well, like when a ball hits you, it could be hit to your left, it could be hit to your right, it could be hit soft, it could be drilled right at your face. You don't really have time to think of what to do with the ball once you get hit. Once it hits you, you have to make that decision before the ball's even hit. So is the guy, let's say if there's a guy at first, is he slow or fast? How much time do you have to get the ball to second? Is the guy at home slow or fast? So you have to figure out how to best use your time and what you're going to do ahead of time. And so I was thinking like, okay, well, 
Here they talked about like, let's say you have a business and in COVID you have a revenue decline of 5% or 10% or 20% of the year. What business decisions are you going to make if you hit those numbers? <clears throat> and what they did is she said they did it. They crafted a scenario in which they had 50% of revenue that went bye-bye. And so let's say all of a sudden you have something, let's say you're a restaurant and your revenue dries up. You're sitting here panicking, trying to figure out, are you going to pay rent? Are you going to be able to stay open? <clears throat> you know, what are you going to do with your food? Cause you have to do a spoilage. What do you keep? What do you not keep? Where do you store it? Mm. You know, mm. uh, you have landlords on your back asking for rent of all these things, but it's like, once you made a decision, okay, well in the event that we lose 50% of our revenue or 70% of our revenue, who are we going to keep and who are we going to, who are we going to let go of? Or are we going to just do, let's say you're a company and you have a salary, salaried employees, are you going to offer them a 15% drop, a 20% drop, a 50% drop? Or are you going to cut the number of managers in half? And when you do that, you have a plan and all you really have to do is let reality kick in and that, that reality, whatever the outcome is, actually just makes the decision for you, like to execute it. But you know what you're mm -hmm. gonna do ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And I think in life, it's a generally a good idea. Like if, you, if you're looking to, let's say you look at it from the, uh, the opposite side, let's say you're starting a business and you actually have revenue goals. So you might have a revenue goal where we're not making much revenue, what are you gonna do? Or when I hit you know, this revenue goal, I'm gonna hire this person. Maybe it's a copywriter or a social media person, or a bookkeeper, mm -hmm. and you have mm -hmm. these mile markers, and you literally plan it out, and then you don't really have to make the decision in the moment, should I hire this person or should I not? But you've, you've thought about it ahead of time, right? And so even like every day what I do, like when I'm, I'm doing day trading in COVID because it's just free money they're handing out, I, it's my friends that are doing the similar thing. They're in the market every day. One of them's up at like six in the morning. Cause it's like mm -hmm. we're three hours behind the market and mm -hmm. he's doing it all day. And I'm like, I don't like the idea of doing that because like I, you know, let's say the market takes a turn halfway through. I feel like I have to do something in the moment, but I just, I don't even look at the market until the market's closed because overnight I'll take a look at everything I want to look at. And I have plenty of time. Nothing's moving. I could be deliberate and, just very measured in what I want to do and have a long time to think about it. And then when the market opens, I've already made my decision on what I want to do mm -hmm. for the next day. And so I don't have to think about it. I already made it. If, the, if I decide I want to buy something at a price, I'll buy it and we'll see if the market does it that day. Mm -hmm. And I've had a number of hours to think about it and I don't have to think about it in the moment. So I think this number one area is really mm -hmm. important because you want to take your emotions out of a decision and you want to be able to plan for every, you know, every outcome and know that whatever happens, it's the best decision you could think of. That's interesting. And it, it, to me, it sounds like uh, a, a, a practical theory, what I call a practical theory. Um, and the reason that I, I say that is because uh, first it's difficult to plan for the unplannable. And you can have optimum scenarios, worst case, best case, unknown, question mark. Uh, and you can have some strategies in place that are your go-to. Just like if you're, you don't expect your house to be set on fire, but if you wake up and you smell smoke, that's not the time to have an exit strategy. Think about what your exit strategy is going to be or where 
to go buy a fire extinguisher. You know, that's not the time. So timing is very important. But then again, you don't want to plan for uh, uh, events that have such a low probability of occurring. The uh, an asteroid hitting your house or so forth. Um, so, or uh, you know, maybe there's a riot on your street. In other words, what I'm saying is, it's it's the combination of common sense, thinking carefully, critical thinking, uh, planning, strategizing, and putting into place optimal optimal scenarios for a variety of things that could happen, and there isn't. There isn't any more a dynamic environment than entrepreneurship in a variety of uh, scenarios, in a variety of ways. If you're just getting a business started, then you've got some strengths and weaknesses and you need to be aware of what those strengths and weaknesses are so that you can put a strategy into place to, at the very least, keep things going or minimize the damage or the loss until you can see that things have turned around, so to speak, in terms of what you're having to deal with. If you're having to deal with something major that is a phenomenon that is affecting the entire world, such as COVID, um, on one hand, uh, it's very difficult to predict that kind of thing. On the other hand, if you're not aware of what's happening, you can't take effective action. So you have to keep in mind that you're not going to know most of what you need to know. So you're gonna to have to have some strategies and tactics and take some effective action that would be suitable under almost any kind of a disaster circumstance. I mean, I have house insurance on my home and uh, every month, I, I pay a hundred bucks uh, for for house insurance and uh, and uh, earthquake insurance, and every month I go like, well, there was a hundred month hundred dollars that was wasted. But on the other hand, if something drastic were to happen, I know that I'm basically safe. I'm basically covered, and I can recover from a disastrous situation. So, is that something that entrepreneurs need to keep in mind? Well, <clears throat> I think it. It applies to all entrepreneurs and their entrepreneur situation, but it is going to be different depending on where you are, what level you're at. If you're just starting or you have 20 employees or you have 2,000 employees, what you're going to need to do, or 20,000 employees, what you're going to need to do in that entrepreneurial mindset is going to be very different. Um, so. These are some of the things that have to be taken into consideration. Um, and uh, that's the world we live in. That's what it means to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, and I think it's just more than anything. I think part of it is just, you know, you don't want to plan for every situation. So I don't really know much you can p prepare for an asteroid. But <laughs> like you can if, if you say, well, um, if there's a fire, how am I going to get the kids out? Or if somebody breaks in my house, where do I want to keep the gun? Like that is important. And you don't anticipate that's ever going to happen. But 
Mm-hmm. You know, you want to you want to address you know <clears throat> just some. You probably give as much like I think what you were saying. Give as much thought to the possibility. So if you have an outside possibility, you give a few seconds of thought to it. But if you have something that's a little more legit, like what am I going to do if I'm driving and some guy on the freeway hits me? Well, you kind of know what the rules of pardon the pun, but rules of the road are, and you know what you're going to do and go from there. But I think it's important to do that mm-hmm. because decisions that require multiple levels of, you know, of planning, you do want to have an idea of what you're going to do. And so even a company that I used to work for, we did succession planning and it's something you hope will never happen. But like if the CEO gets, you know, goes down on on an airplane, how are you going to plan for that? Like who goes and where, you know, if the top three people in the company are all on the same airplane and they go down, who's in charge, who gets the CEO position, you know, and, and that type of thing. So you have to do it every so often. It's just, it's due diligence, but it doesn't mean you have to spend all your time worrying about it, but you do have to have some type of a plan in place in general. Yeah. Well, I, I find uh, my experience as an entrepreneur, having run my, my computer services, it company for 20 plus years. uh, I find that most entrepreneurs that are new to being entrepreneurs, uh, whether they bought a franchise or whether they just got an idea one morning when they woke up or whether it's something they've been doing for 20 years working for somebody else, but now <clears throat> they want to do their own thing. And they're looking to start it up as a side gig or maybe they lost their job and now it's, well, this is an option full time. Uh, they tend to tend to be a, a, a lot in a firefighting mode. They don't, most entrepreneurs I know are the kind of get it done, go get it, do it now type individuals. They're not long-term strategist thinker types, okay? Those tend to be more like professional managers. They get hired. <clears throat> but um, what I found is many of them are fighting fires. And not only are they fighting fires that that are popping up, but they're creating fires while they're fighting the fires. So they're fighting one fire and creating two more fires. And this is where the stress comes in and the the craziness, the stress, the, the possibility that the company could just go down in flames no pun intended, if they're fighting fires, they could go down in flames. Um, So do entrepreneurs spend enough of their time really thinking strategy, really thinking about alternate scenarios, including far-fetched scenarios, what they call the, you know, once in a hundred year floods type of situations, or are they really the kind of people that have this mindset that it, I just, I got to get this stuff done today, 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 now, 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 because they haven't been in business long enough or they, they don't have the resources. Uh, maybe they don't have the help or the, the, the personnel to, to handle things. So they're wearing eight or nine different hats. Uh, and so basically all they can do is wake up in the morning and go what kind of emergencies 
i.e. fires do I have to put out today? And that becomes their mindset. That becomes, you know, of the 10,000 things that could go wrong today, which of those am I gonna have to deal with? And I have to deal with those effectively or there is no future. So no future for the company, uh, uh, no income, uh, no growth. So I, my experience has been many entrepreneurs have that kind of mindset. And I would advise them, whether they get a consultant or an outside help of some kind or a mentorship situation or a partnership situation, that they spend more time thinking about strategy that's mid and long term. Because if they don't, they're going to be fighting fires. They're not, I think the the probability that they're going to be successful, reasonably successful, in the future is diminished because they don't do that. I'm not saying that they should spend 80% of their time planning and 20% of their time executing. I think it's the reverse. They should spend 80% of their time executing on the plans and strategies that they have spent 20% of their time thinking about and planning and evaluating and analyzing. And they should spend part of that 20% of the time looking at what are their competitors doing? What is the marketplace like? What are their weaknesses? How can they shore up some of their weaknesses in in their business? How can they take advantage of their strengths? So since they're, the, since they're the chief cook and bottle washer, so to speak, especially with a small business, small business is like a small boat. You know, If you have a two-inch hole in the Queen Mary, it's probably not going to sink. But if you have a two-inch uh, hole in a Sabbath, uh, you better be right? So these are yeah, some of think- I encourage entrepreneurs to do either with the help of, uh, of, of some of an expert or a consultant or, or, um, or, or, or just to take the time to do the research and, and, and figure it out the, for themselves to the best of their ability. Yeah, and I think like you said, it's, it's designed to take people who may not have a particular mental bent for lack of a better term toward planning and give them, you know, kind of a very loose structure to say, Hey, you know, we all want to plan for the best. Like when I make my first million dollars, I'm going to buy a Maserati. Okay. That's great. But what happens if a competitor comes in and tries to wipe you out, what are you going to do? And so it's just giving them just a rare, a very rough structure to work with so they can actually plan for the things they don't like think about. Cause if it's, if, if the people are like you that I've met, you know, you'll ask them this and they'll say, well, I don't really want to think about that. No. Well, you know, what happens if you launch a product and nobody buys it? Well, what are you going to do? Well, that's not going to happen to me. Well, no. Okay. That that's fine. But you still need to plan. Like how long are you going to start offering that product before you determine that it's not worth it or you know, what is your minimum revenue goal that you want to keep in order to continue to offer that product? And so you're giving them a framework, you know? And so sometimes people look at it as like, if they're, if they're numbers guys, I'm more of a numbers guy, but if you're saying, okay, if my ROI for advertising, my return on investment for advertising is, 
is under, let's say, 1.5, meaning if I spend $100 in advertising, I get $150 in sales. You know, if it goes under that, I'm going to trim my advertising by 50%. Mm. You know, or if it goes under, you know, 110 or 100, let's say it goes under 100, how long are you going to continue to, to spend money on the advertising if you're spending $100 to make 90? Mm-hmm. You know, and so those are the things you just need to figure out and say, okay, these are my, these are the, these are kind of the, the levels or if it hits, you know, if things happen in, in level one, level two, level three, level four, level five, this is what I'm going to do. And then you literally just, you know, do your best to, like you said, spend most of your time executing, but as you're reviewing kind of what the macro is, you don't have to make that decision in the moment. Because especially when it's something that we've created, we get emotional about it. Like we, if we spent the last two months or three months creating this product and program and doing all this stuff and the advertising and the marketing and everything that's involved with it, it's, it's hard to just say, yeah, I'm done. I'm going to pull the plug. You know, I know that three months wasn't like, it's hard to do that. So you have to say, okay, at what point do you do that? You know, maybe if it goes under one, then, okay, my goal isn't necessarily to stop the advertising, but then I'm going to spend the next week tweaking the product or I'm going to find out what it is. And, but you know, it's designed to basically give people who don't like looking at the bad news or or negative news, some type of structure so they don't have to dwell on it. So let's talk about number, let's talk about number two for a second. So they talked about a a comment, a quick comment about what you said. Sure. Sure. First of all, I can see that you're a numbers guy. You like to look at the numbers and the numbers represent a reality to you that you can make decisions on. And I think that's good. And of course, there's quantification and qualification. So a lot of things that happen for a, in an entrepreneur, many events, many circumstances are difficult to attach numbers to. But if you can attach oh. numbers to them, then I think that gives you another way of looking at reality where you can make effective decisions. And you sound like a numbers guy. And I think that's a good thing. And I think many business, many entrepreneurs and even business people uh, don't look at the numbers enough. They don't have an objective reality to compare the past with the now with the future and numbers give you that. So they don't talk to their accountant, maybe half an hour out of the month. Oh, thank you for the reports. Okay. Uh, we'll need those again next month. So they don't, they're not really looking at the numbers. They don't have a heads up display, if you will, of what's going on with their business. So I just want to say that. And I want to say that, you know, that, that, that they need to do more of that. That's definitely something they should implement. They should implement a heads up display of some kind with numbers, so they have a much better idea if the gas is on empty or the speed is 80 miles an hour or 40 miles an hour. They have an objective way to look at that. And I think that's part of what you're getting. At. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, part of part of a couple of times. There we go. So we talked about Steve Jobs. That's what happens when you bump your microphone port. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, that's literally what happened. I like touched the microphone port and it went off. Okay. Um, you look at Steve Jobs and it's the difference between a CEO and a team leader, right? Mm. Or even a, or even a prod, a, like a, a contributor. So if you say, let's say, for example, you say, I want to help people. I want to mm-hmm. have a program for helping 
recently divorced women get back on their feet and feel good about themselves. I'm just making something up. Okay. Something okay. I have zero, zero expertise in whatsoever. <laughs> um, no, about zero. Well, but the idea is like, if you're running it from the, if you're running it from the creator standpoint, it's like, I want to make this succeed. And I have an emotional investment in, in making, you know, kind of the, the fruit of my mind and my creativity come to fruition. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But a CEO's job, <clears throat> they're responsible for the overall health of the company. <clears throat> and so if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, well, Matt's the numbers geek over there, but I'm not a numbers geek. Fair enough. But if you're going to run the company, if you're the person responsible for running the company, you have to do that. Now, you could always hire somebody to run the company. Some people do that. You look at people that... Um, they're going to be chairman of the board and they like, you know, they don't want to be involved in the everyday, uh, the everyday decisions. So they hire a CEO, they hire somebody to run the company. They're not good at it. Fair enough. You know, you look mm. at Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg is a good example of that. I don't, I think he's the CEO, but it really Cheryl Sandberg, the COO pretty much is the one running the company. Cause that's her, that's her bent. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to run the company, unless you have somebody doing it for you, um, really, you need to figure that part out, like get a little bit better and a little bit better on it. Um, right. you know, and there's areas for me, there's areas that I'm not always like super great at, but it's like, I need to figure it out one way or another. Like I, when I started mm. my company, I didn't, I knew nothing about videography for the most part, mm. but, but I better figure it out until, you know, until I decide to outsource it. Right. So, but and, anyway, and, and, just, and figuring it out too to some degree, is good because if you're going to outsource it, you need to know a little bit about it or you're not going to be able to properly outsource it. Either yeah, the person you won't you're be outsourcing able to, it, yeah. You won't be able to keep the person accountable. Mm-hmm. And so like when it, even it comes to finances, you could sit here and say, well, I'm just going to have, I'm going to give it to my CPA or my bookkeeper. Well, people get embezzled all the time. So you need to know like what to look for and you know, even in my real estate thing, it's like one of the things that I had always planned was like, all right, they're going to, they're going to manage the money. They're going to turn a report in and then I'm going to have my CPA audit the report. Mm-hmm. They don't know each other. And so we're going to make it really, really, really difficult for somebody to, you know, conceal embezzlement. Mm-hmm. So, cause it's my money. And if I don't pay attention to it and I lose it, guess whose fault it is. It's mine. Mm-hmm. Well, the other side of that coin is, um, sure, nobody wants to to see their money go down a rat hole or be embezzled, but at the the other side of it is optimization. Are you maximizing the resource known as your money? And if you're not, then uh, what are you in business for? Hello, right? Right. You've got to maximize that resource. And every resource that you have, you want to optimize it and maximize the effective use of it. If you don't, you're missing the boat. Right. Yep. All right. So let's go to number two. So in this article, they talk about number two. And I read this and I'm like, oh, come on. Like the first one, it said, uh, the second one, it said, imagine your best possible future. And I just thought the first thought that popped in my head was fortune cookie. Like that's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but one of the things they actually said in here was interesting. They were talking about like, you know, know, people always say, well, if I'm going to be in my own business, I get to work, you know, in the morning and I can play golf in the afternoon or I can buy a Tesla or I can do this. 
And that's all fine. Those are outcomes. But one of the things that said was um, they talked about strategies for imagining your best case scenario. I think one of the things they brought it into line with was not your best case scenario and everything's going well, but what's your best case scenario for digging yourself out of a hole? So initially, when I was reading this, it was kind of more a little bent toward the job seeker. But for entrepreneurs, it's the same thing, right? Maybe you have a business that didn't work out the first time and you're, and you're trying to come up or maybe you came up with a second business idea and you're getting ready to like kind of pull the trigger on moving forward with that. Uh, they mentioned a couple things that were interesting. They said, delve into your most difficult, your most vivid, difficult moments. Um, for example, challenges you faced during the pandemic. And think about the skills or creative ap- ap- adaptations you drew on to meet them. Um, uh, number two, construct. And this one I really liked. It said construct a personal highlight reel to help you remember the moments where you're at your best. Uh, I like this one because a lot of times we have to talk ourselves into something. So even like even people who are MMA fighters, right? These are the most motivated, type A, aggressive people in the world. They have hype men. They have people in their corner going, you're the baddest dude on the planet. You're going to kill this guy. You're going to wipe him out. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do this. You know, but to have something where you can have a, you know, kind of go back and remember, let's, I mean, it could be you lost your job or this or that, or, but it's like, Hey, listen, I know how to run a business. I know how to create good content. I know how to do X, Y, and Z. And I think just verbally reinforcing your positives are really, really important. Um, two other things they talked about, understanding, um, what, uh, this one's really good because this one is probably harder for me than it is for, uh, you know, a lot of people. Uh, think about how you spend your free time. And mm. I've, been, I've been guilty of that where it's like you go, 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 you go 100 miles an hour all the time and you realize you don't have any free time. And it's mm. like, I don't really want to be, and it, it got me to a point where I, where I first started to address it and I realized... I don't want to have a job where I'm working 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Like that's not the reason I'm doing it. Um, you know, and it's important to be able to like, if I had a, you know, if I'm starting a business, I want to be able to have a business that allows me to do what I want to do. So I want a job that allows me to travel, allows me to have time that if my family were to do X, Y, and Z, that I can have the flexibility in my schedule to do that. So really allowing me to, you know, if I'm pursuing a business, allow me to have a business, me that runs the business and not the business runs me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last thing they talked about was they said, go go beyond your past experience in current industry to explore new arenas and emerging trends. And I think this was the one that I looked at where I think they pivoted in the article. I felt like they did where it's like, um, you know, they talked about somebody that applied for a new job and got it, which kind of seemed far-fetched the way they described it. But, um, but part of it, it's like, all right, well, you know, we had talked about this in prior episodes where it's like you went through the Great Recession and you lost your job and you might have lost your house or wife or husband or whatever it is, car. And it's like, all right, I don't want that to ever happen again. So you get back on your feet, you get, you know, you get moving again, you build up, you know, a good 10 years of, of momentum and, you know, growth. And then COVID hits and they shut, down, they shut down your company's business and you lose your job again. And it's like the old saying of like, you know, fool me once. You know, it's not my fault. Fool me second time. It is my fault. I know I'm blowing the, the quote, 
But the idea is maybe this person sitting here saying, well, listen, I need to figure out a better plan of action because I keep getting hit, you know, sideswiped by these major negative um, phenomena that keep happening. And I need to do something to insulate myself from having this happen again. Mm-hmm. And I think people mm-hmm. a lot of times, and they've, I've heard this said for the last five years, and I think COVID is going to exacerbate it even more, is they said, or maybe even longer than five years, they said, this is the entrepreneurial golden age. Because people have either gone through the dot-com crash and then the Great Recession, or they've gone through the Great Recession and now COVID, or maybe all three. And it's like, you know, kind of the eagles kicking the chicks out of the, out of the nest, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, now it's like, I got to do something different. I can't, I can't keep walking into work one day and finding out that my job isn't there mm-hmm. through no fault of my own, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I think people that are going for, for an entrepreneur, it's like being able to like, to look at, you know, what your future could be on a different path. Like, okay, I've been a staff accountant my whole life. Mm-hmm. I haven't, but I'm saying somebody might say I've been a staff accountant sure. my whole life. I can't even sure. imagine doing anything else. Or I'm going to be like, I had a friend of mine. Um, he was an insurance agent. I mean, like embedded, like the guy was an insurance agent his entire career. His dad owned an agency. So it's like from a little kid, that's kind of what he was planning to do. Got mm-hmm. to be an insurance agent. And then finally came to a point where he just, it wasn't some major negative event that happened, but he just realized, I don't want to be an insurance agent anymore. And you know what mm-hmm. he's doing right now? He's a nurse. Hmm. And he, it's funny, he, grad, he graduated from nursing school in February of this year. Wow. Which was like perfect timing for him. He just had to pass his boards and, you know, like he walks right into COVID. Like he goes from, from insurance agent to nursing school to, co- to immediately COVID. And mm. it just, he just didn't want to do anything anymore. And so he was, when he was doing the insurance agency, he was kind of, you know, wanting to start his own agency from scratch and had an entrepreneurial mindset. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden he just realized he didn't want to do that. And he shifted and he became a nurse. And it's just mm-hmm. interesting that like you can take the path you're on and the momentum you've had for a certain number of years. And it's amazing how sometimes overly, how simple it is, surprisingly simple it is to reimagine what you want your life to be. Even if it mm-hmm. takes a completely left turn, you decide to take a left turn on it. Mm-hmm. The freeing part of it is you can do whatever you want. You just have to make the decision. You're the only person making the decision. And mm-hmm. so whatever you've done in your life, you know, you can, you can literally decide to do something totally different. You can move to another country. Mm-hmm. You can move to another city. Uh, you can do anything you want. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. You know, the, what you, what you said about, you have to believe in what you can be, no one else will. Let me just say right off that I'm not a big rah-rah cheerleader, you can accomplish anything kind of guy. I'm more of a realist, I'm more practical, and I feel that has served me well as an entrepreneur, especially in IT. I had to deal with the, the reality of what existed, not what I wanted to exist or what should exist. But the other side of that is, if you don't believe in yourself, if you have these doubts, these fears um, that are constantly coming up, what's basically going to happen is you're not going to be open to the possibilities. I don't think you should uh, be a Pollyanna 
or be uh, someone who thinks, well, everything is just going to be wonderful and the world is great and this business is going to go from you know, two employees to 200 employees very soon and this product is going to take off and there's just the unlimited demand for it and all that. That's not realistic. Look at the numbers. Look at the positive. But on the other hand, you don't want to create your own glass ceiling and put yourself in a box and not see the possibilities that could exist or opportunities. Being an entrepreneur is all about taking advantage of opportunities and moving on them quickly and generating income and generating profit and growing your company as 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 fast as you can. I mean, because you have that you're nimble, you can move quickly. Whereas some giant behemoth uh, of, a, of a corporation with 200,000 employees probably won't even look at that opportunity. It's not worth it for them. It's not worth the time and effort that they need to even do the research to, to, to put the people to work to do the research to figure out if it's something they even want to do. So, and it may not be profitable enough, but it's profitable enough for the entrepreneur. So, you know, I believe in the, the middle path, like the Buddha, you know, it's not being able to push your stomach and feel your backbone, you know, or eating one, one grain of rice a day. And it's not about being some kind of a crazy ex extremist that is, um, that is, you know, just living to party you know, living for the sensations of the moment. It's a middle path. It's a balance. That's, that's easier said than done because the entrepreneur, you know, depending on how passionate you are, depending on how, how much you want this thing to happen, depending on how, how identified you are with it in terms of your identity, in, in what it is that you're doing, very difficult to just look at it objectively and say, hey, what are the numbers? And if they go below a certain threshold, then we're just going to not continue with this product. And there's, there's this, you're like somebody who wants to climb Mount Everest. You know, if you're 100 feet from the top, you want to, you get that, that, that fever, you know, you get summit fever. And even if everybody is telling you, hey, you better turn around and go back because there's a storm coming in or, one of your guys has a broken leg or this or that, any number of things that could happen. You've got that, that, that fixation that you, you want to make this thing happen. You want to, you want to say that you did it. You want to, you want to uh, reach the summit. And so many entrepreneurs have that kind of summit fever, that goal. They can't, they don't, they're not looking at the numbers. They're just looking at, this is my life, this is my passion, this is what I want to do, and it's do this or die. It's fly or die, okay? So they've, they haven't been kicked out of the nest, they've chosen to jump out of the nest, and it's fly or die. And they, some of them would rather die than, than give up their hopes and their dreams and their vision, but what you learn as an entrepreneur is all of that is subject to change. So you might need to change your vision. Your company might need to be a different company, a different kind of company, a different way of doing business. How many, how many businesses 
never took advantage of the internet, never saw it coming, Sears. They were the first to deliver a catalog to people in the middle of nowhere, and the people could order houses, tools, whatever they wanted from, you know, from this, from this book, the Sears catalog. That's, that's how, how, how much different is that from selling over the internet? Except the medium is different. And yet they did not take advantage of it. Many other companies are scrambling to take advantage of it. Walmart, they spent hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars on their internet strategy, and they still haven't got it right. But the point is, the entrepreneur needs to be able to see the possibilities without, without reaching for possibilities that are unattainable. And that's easier said than done. Right. No, no, I got it. Um, can you hear me? All right. See, I went and touched that thing again. <laughs> All right. So let's look at uh, let's look at the number three yeah. here. So we got um, said build capabilities to reveal your future. So I'm just trying to see what I wrote about that one. Mm-hmm. Always be building the uh, uh, skills. Always be building the skills that you need always right yeah so you know i think that's part of it like no matter what you're doing it's it's there's an old saying if you're not getting better you're getting worse you're either progressing or you're regressing and so mm-hmm. one of the things that we look at in general it's always important to get new skills so you know steve jobs went back and learned how to manage you know how to manage company how to manage managers and manage you know high level leaders which is a definitely unique a uh, unique skill Um, and that's normally the case, you know, but one of the things I've noticed as far as the arc of like kind of how things have progressed over the last 50 to 60 years is Mm -hmm. let's say for example, it was maybe even 70 years. Let's say you're, you're in the sixties and you decide, okay, I'm going to (laughs) be, cause my, my grandfather was this way back in the day. I'm going to be a typewriter repairman. Right. And it's like, all right, well, I know how to do that. Well, that's great. And let's say, for example, you decide I'm going to, you know, have a, a certain fixed skill. Like I'm going to learn how to, um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to basically publish, well, we'll use your example. I'm going to publish the Sears catalog or I'm going to publish mm. the yellow pages. Well, then you have something disruptive come up like the internet and, and all of a sudden people don't want it anymore. Right. And the white pages don't exist. I can't imagine the Sears catalog and print exists but you have to figure out a new skill. You know, part of it's just as a defensive mechanism, but things are moving so fast. The pace of change mm-hmm. has increased so exponentially. I mean, literally parabolically that you have to build new skills. You have to. And for two reasons. One, if you're, let's say you're in a job or in a company, you have your own business and you have a skill set. Let's say you're a painting contractor, right? And you have mm-hmm. a painting business. You have to do that because the amount of competitors up there is going to be important. But then you look at things like Yelp, where one bad review can take away business from you. So you have to learn not only how to do painting, but you have to learn how the ins and outs of Yelp 
and having an effective communication strategy and follow-up strategy and feedback strategy with your customers that you didn't have before. But let's say that you all of a sudden hit a black swan event where it could be the Great Recession or it could be COVID. Well, you have to figure out new skills because whatever your pivot's going to be has to be something that you have to use those skills for. So maybe it's something that's very specific. Like you said, all right, I'm sick of being a Yellow Pages ad salesperson. I'm going to learn how to code, to quote President Obama. I'm going to learn how to code, right? Well, it's like, okay, that's great to do that. And that's very specific, but you want to know how, you know, what you're going to do regarding that. But then the other part of it is like, you might want to also learn some skills that are a little broader in nature. So, you know, I'm going to be a better speaker, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I I know people that go to Toastmasters or before COVID um, and they would go Mm -hmm. there because they want to be a more effective speaker. Mm -hmm. Um, I know people that, you know, go to different groups, not necessarily Toastmasters, but they want to learn how to be a more effective persuader. Mm -hmm. And those are skills that can translate in a number of areas. You know, I went through, when I worked in my corporate career, I did a number of programs where it was identifying how to manage different groups of people based on their personality types. So you'd be able to identify personality profiles and be able to know exactly Mm -hmm. how to manage and lead them and what they heard well, what they didn't hear well. Um, I went back and got my MBA. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I want to, you know, part of it is it's like, I, you know, it's really learning how to be an executive of a company. If you ask what really an MBA is, how to, how yes. to be an executive of a company. And so when I did that in the corporate environment, I mean, it helped me more than I could ever say. But at the same time, when I decided I want to start my business, I knew exactly the structure of what I needed to do, what I needed to focus on, what I didn't need to focus on right away. Um, and enabled me to have a skill set more than that, a, a really a, a broad confidence about whatever I wanted to do. Um, so you can pick something narrow, like I want to learn how to do professional photography. I have a friend of mine that did that. He just did it because he loves it. He wasn't planning on doing it for a career. Mm-hmm. And then he decided to launch his own photography business. And that's great. And other people say, well, I don't really want to delve all that into something narrow if I'm not sure if that's what I want to do. Fine, fair enough. But you want to learn how to do certain, you know, th- certain things to improve your skill set. And we had talked before about in John MacArthur's book, I, th- I think it was The Seven Secrets of Successful People or whatever. Um, he said, spend 75% of the time on the things you're naturally good at, you have a mm-hmm. proclivity for. 20% or 5% of the time, the things improving your neck, your weaknesses, which is just, you know, it's a nominal amount. And the other 20% are on things that you are new skills or things you're not sure of. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this area is. Like, I want to take what I'm good at, but you don't want to be like Steve Jobs and be the maniacal ruler of Apple, you know, the monster of Silicon Valley back in the 80s. Yeah. And then he became, and then he, he really kind of paired that with his Buddhism and became a more effective manager of people. He was gentler. He knew how to speak to them. He knew how to manage executives. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really, I think, the reason Apple went from a fledgling company that was rudderless for a number of years to the, what, the most valuable company in the world right now? I think it's the most valuable company in the world from a cap from a market yeah. cap standpoint. Sure. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, you want to feel like, you know, what gives you a better chance of doing something? So like, even for me, when I worked in corporate America, it's like, I knew I wanted to start my own business. We talked about it last episode. I didn't know what I wanted to do. 
Mm-hmm. I had no clue what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But I knew I wanted to own my own business one day. And so I realized that I need to start thinking like an entrepreneur at the very least. And so some of the first things I did were subscribe to, you know, videos from people that I did or YouTube channels, you know, and watch things that I did. Or, you know, I'm on mailing lists for people that kick out stuff every week that really help you stay within an entrepreneurial mindset. And even one of my favorite podcasts, and I will admittedly say I haven't listened to it in a while and I probably should. I used to listen to Entrepreneur on Fire every day because it's one of the rare daily, daily podcasts. And I just know Mm -hmm. for me, when I was listening to it, sometimes he would give me an idea of something to work on, but other times it just, it kind of keeps me in that, my mental energy is flowing in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at the the element we talked about today and the, the, was it the third point? I think that's really it. It's, it's, creating the ability for you to grow, whether it's in a very specific vein or in a, in a general vein, but giving yourself mm-hmm. options to do something else or to do what you're doing better. Right. Well, I think, uh, again, addressing the always be building uh, new skills, always, uh, I think one of the key things and and, and, and uh, remarking on what you said, one of the I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks or challenges that the entrepreneur faces is they don't really know themselves. They don't really take the time to, to objectively evaluate what their strengths and weaknesses are, whether they're using DISC or the Enneagram or, uh, you know, whatever kind of psychological profiling tool, Myers-Briggs, whatever it is, Many times they don't really know what their strengths are. They don't know what their weaknesses are in reality. And um, so, yes, they should be acquiring new skills to take advantage of opportunities and to build their business to the next level and the next level. But a lot of times they think they're good at something and they're not. They're like the guy who thinks he's the ladies man. And the girls are rolling their eyes and going like, Oh, please, to stay away from me, you, uh, you know, stalker, you, you know, you, you know, you're just annoying. But in somewhere in his head, he has this, this scenario, this vision that he somehow he's the ladies man. And it's, 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 it's laughable. And some of these entrepreneurs going into situations where they're not numbers guys, they don't understand the numbers. Maybe they're engineering guys. Maybe they're sales guys. Maybe they're good with people. Maybe they're not good with people. I, I have known entrepreneurs in my life that for a period of time did extremely well until they reached their level of incompetence. And I, I can remember one entrepreneur guy in particular uh, because his office was right next to mine. Again, I was in computers, and he was sort of in computers. He decided to do computers rent-to-own. And this was back in the days of the IBM yeah. PC and AT. I was going to say, that sounds like the 80s. Um, and uh, and uh, he appeared to be a nice guy for about five minutes until you got to know him, and then he was the complete asshole. And he got to be that way because he would – do, put these computers out on a rent to own basis and then people wouldn't pay him. They disappear with the computers. They wreck the computers, et cetera, et cetera. And it all came down to the bottom line for him. So he ended up, ended up hiring a guy that must've used, I think his, his 
previous job was working for the mafia as a collector, this guy would go out and literally scare the bejesus out of these people that if they didn't pay or return the computer, they, they were going to have some serious leg breaking going on. And right. I would laugh because I go, here's a guy who, who smiles and acts like he's a nice guy. And he's got this other guy doing the dirty work for him that, you know, I'm going to break your kneecaps if you don't make your payment on the rent to own computer. And anyway, I'm digressing a little bit, but there's so many different scenarios where the entrepreneur is either living in a fantasy world or they're just not really objectively looking at what their strengths and weaknesses are or what new skills they need to acquire. And so, they think they're strong and they're not. Yeah. So I think what you had talked about, you said you're rising to your level of incompetence, which I presume you're referring to as the Peter principle, right? Absolutely. So I think with that in mind, it's like really what, if we boil this, I, it kind of gave me an, uh, a realization on this. So if you take everything we're talking about, really what you're doing on this point we're talking about is you're, you're raising your level of incompetence. Mm. So without the skill, your level of incompetence is right here. But mm -hmm. as you gain or develop the skills, you're raising it higher. So right. maybe it's something that, let's say you're just working in corporate America and your Peter principle, your level of incompetence is just a frontline manager, right? You're never going to go anything farther than that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but by learning how to, and I, I did this myself. So it's like, as you learn how to manage, how you, how to manage managers, well, as soon as I figured out how to manage managers, I was a manager and I learned how to get other managers to kind of do what I wanted them to do mm. and have it seem like it was their idea. Magically, I got promoted to a director because <laughs> I was already doing it. And so my mm -hmm. Peter principle just elevated. And so right. then I was running it and it was like, then my next job as a director was I had to get other directors and vice presidents to get to do what I needed them to do. And as I started to do that, I got interviewed for a VP position. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, what I see what you're talking about here is like, as you raise your level of incompetence, um, your opportunities, one, your opportunities for growth go up, but two, um, the results you get are going to go higher. Steve Jobs didn't know how to manage people. And as soon as he learned mm -hmm. how to manage executives, the company went through the roof. Mm. Right. And all of a sudden the innovation and the culture of Apple changed dramatically. And mm -hmm. it's like, that's what you want. You have to realize, and a lot of people will never tell you this. And so you're the first person to tell people this is like, you have, whoever's listening to this, as long as both we do, we have our own level of incompetence. Mm -hmm. Meaning that if we were put in a position higher than that level, we were good. We're destined to fail. Or do and it so really. Well, not necessarily well, fail. Long-term fail. We're not going to do it. Long-term, possibly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're not going to succeed long-term. We'll just keep it in a nice way. So, really, what you do when you're adding new skills, or you're broadening your skills, or you're learning something totally different, mm -hmm. is you're allowing your level of incompetence to elevate, and so you're giving yourself more room to rise. So mm -hmm. you think of it almost like a balloon full of helium. The more helium in the balloon, the higher it's going to rise. Mm -hmm. But as the helium seeps out of the balloon, it starts to sink back down. Mm -hmm. Well, for example, when, when uh, uh, a corporation or a business has a management problem, okay, they're having a problem with a manager or a group uh, that isn't working effectively together. They're not working as a team. 
they're, they're at loggerheads. Um, they're not complimenting each other. <clears throat> they're bringing a consultant or consultant slash coach, let's say, outside person who could, huh? The Bobs. Yeah. Could, well, that's a little different, but let's say they're bring, actually bringing in somebody to, to help improve the situation and not to, just to act as a, as, as a straw man to fire people. But, and sometimes that is the case. People do need to be let go. But let's say you, you've, got a, you've got a team, you want them to work better together. You want them to make better decisions, be more creative, take uh, opportunities, but mostly take advantage of opportunities. But mostly you want them to work together effectively. You bring in an outside consultant. He, first thing he does is look at the situation objectively. Then he does what they call a 360 degree Review. Eval. Yeah. Evaluation view. So the person who is the manager that seems to be this, the, the stick in the mud or seems to be the, uh, the bottleneck, if you will, he gets to hear objectively what everybody else thinks about him and what he does and how he does it. And it's usually a wake-up call. Again, like some entrepreneurs, some managers have this idea that they are everything great, all that in a bag of chips, better than sliced bread with butter on it, however you want to put it. And in reality, everybody is just saying yes and nodding and smiling and saying under their breath, you are an idiot, you are an asshole, you are a terrible manager, and I'm going to do as little as I can, or I'm going to do what I think needs to be done, regardless of what you have to say. And that's not a team, that's not effective. I'm advising entrepreneurs because this podcast is all about helping the entrepreneur or the would-be entrepreneur, someone who wants to be an entrepreneur. Take some time to get objective or even non-objective feedback from other people. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What do you see that's good about me? What do you see that's bad about me? What do you see I need to improve on? Also, get whether you can do it yourself or get the help of someone uh, who has a psychology background of some kind or a consulting background, get some objective measurement of your strengths and weaknesses. Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, DISC. There's do four or five different ones and see, hey, am I analytical? Am I people? Am I strategic? I'm, am I intuitive, et cetera? And take a good look at that and compare all of them. Do three or four of them. And if you see you're out of balance or you see you have strengths and weaknesses, then go ahead and work on those. Because you don't want to go ahead and, and spend a lot of time and effort trying to improve something that you're already strong in or try to improve something that you don't really have any clue about. Right. I would say if you're going to be an on whether you're just starting whether you just have a vision or an idea or you just created some new product in your basement, whatever it is, take the time to really understand yourself, your strengths and weaknesses, and then take the time to shore up some of your weaknesses by taking and learning new, taking courses or learning new skills. You know, when I got my MBA, I got my MBA because number one, I had a scholarship. Number two, I thought it would, I, I love to learn. 
And I already got a business degree with management. And I thought I'd get an MBA in marketing emphasis. It was paid for because I had a scholarship. And uh, I thought it would be a good thing for me in the long term. And it was good in the sense that anytime I sat across a table from somebody who also had an MBA, I knew they couldn't bullshit me. But did 90 to 95% of everything, all the detail that I learned didn't really apply to being an entrepreneur and a small to medium-sized business, really. It, It applied, like you said, to being a manager in a corporation where you're managing, okay? But it did give me that 5% that was very useful and continued to be useful throughout my whole life. And I learned not just information and data, but I learned skills, analytical skills, strategy skills, looking at optimal, looking at optimal and alternate scenarios. It, it, it increased my ability to do that and I think that helped me in the long term. But as far as being an entrepreneur, uh, you know what they say. I mean, this is a saying that people, the more advanced degree you have, the less possibility you're going to be successful. Many people that became successful as entrepreneurs didn't have much more than a high school education. Sure. Which is kind of so, crazy, you know. I don't recommend being an entrepreneur with a high school education, especially nowadays, because everything is so technology and so sophisticated and so complex, so information oriented. Um, but still, I would say, even if you only have a high school education, if you, what you want to be is a, is a roofing contractor or what you want to be is a coder or what you want to be is um, a, uh, a coach or Take the time to know your strengths and weaknesses, know what you're good at, know what you're not so good at. And if go ahead, take some courses, take some training, get some training, take some workshops, do whatever you need to do to shore up that part of of who you are, because it will make a difference in the long term. Yeah, it's interesting. You just you kind of gave me. an illustration. I will tell you this. So my, my, the last big company I worked for, um, they had us go through a 360 degree review. Right. And I still, I think I still have it upstairs, but, and I remember thinking like, first of all, it's the scariest thing that you could ever go through. Like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get everybody around me telling them what, telling me what they think about me anonymously. Like, Oh my gosh, that's the worst thing ever. Right. Yeah. Um, and it turned out that, I actually, everybody around me, my, so 360 degrees, you mean you have people, your boss, your person above you and above them reviews you. Mm. All the people that are peers to you, you know, nearest to you that are peers to you on the same level review you. And then all the people who report to you review you. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is going to be the big test of if I'm a good boss or not. Right. And so all the people, it turns out all the people that reported me had glowing reviews, which is great. The people around me all had pretty good reviews for me. And the only person that had a negative view to me, the only person, like my VP said I was doing great. My peer said I was doing great. My direct reports say I was doing great. The only person that had anything bad to say about me was my boss. And it was like, you could tell it was an island of like unjust criticism. 
Mm. And I think it probably did more. It did less. It did more harm to them than it did to me because like here, everybody agrees. Matt's doing a great job. You know, it's team cohesion. Results are great. Culture is great. And then this person just doesn't like me. So, but, but it was scary because it was like, to your point, it, it smoked it out. And I didn't realize until you just said this right now, that the reason my, and I know my CEO and you're, and I know he did this for the reason you said it is he wants to smoke out all the bad managers because we had grown so quickly and mm-hmm. we were hiring and uh, we were promoting people so fast that I knew at the time that there were a bunch of bad managers like people that didn't know what they were doing and they had mm-hmm. unhappy employees. And so he did that. I didn't even think about it till right now. He did this to basically, you know, get a, a really clear view and it's kind of dusting for fingerprints, right? To get a sense mm-hmm. of who is really, who are the bad managers so we can make good decisions and, and get them out. Now, the second thing that I did voluntarily, and you had actually mentioned this exact phrasing was, I asked, in the sense the 360 review does this, is what do people think about you? Mm -hmm. Well, I was frustrated because I wasn't getting uh, promoted as fast as I wanted. So I went to three senior level, like uh, like quasi executives in the company. And I asked three of them that I knew pretty well and knew me very well, what's your opinion of me? (laughs) And you're asking people that are, are paid to be blunt. They're in blunt positions. They call it an executive summary for a reason. You just get to the point. We're not going to worry about hurt feelings. And I asked three of these people, what do you think about me? And they all give different Mm. answers. And they all gave me a playbook on what to do to improve or to gain Mm. skills or or to change my perspective and aim at different things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it was just just interesting. It's like as you start to ask that terrible question of like, what do people really think about me? Um, And by the way, if you ever go on Twitter and say, hey, guys, what do you think about me? It'll never end well. Especially if you're famous, so if you're a blue check, don't <laughs> what's ask. one thing that I should change about myself? <laughs> oh, don't ask, don't you're gonna, tell. Yeah, you're going to hate that day. That's going to be the worst thing you could do. But if you ask that in general, um, it's a scary question to ask, but it's one that if you ask people who will give you legitimate feedback, it's one of the best things you could do. Right. Like if I ask my brothers and sisters, I'm like, hey, like, okay. You know, I'm, a, I'm an acquired taste sometimes. We'll just leave it at that. But like, if I could change something, if you could change something about me or just tweak it or whatever, what would you do? And they're going to give me fair examples. But if I, if I go on Facebook and say, hey, what could I change about myself? I'm going to get the worst dregs of society, you know, answering back because they have, you know, they have now have a, a, a reason to, to vent their, to spew their venom, so to speak. Mm-hmm. but it's one of these things that's like you have to take your blinders off and, and stop being afraid of like, okay, will my shallow little tender ego be damaged? Well, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, it's going to be enough. like you have, you have to, yeah, toughen up buttercup. You're going to suck it up. In our family, we always say Southern Illinois university, suck it up. SIU. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's like, the market is going to tell you what you're doing wrong. And if you listen, well, it's going to tell you the question is, are you listening? Right. So when you get, when you all of a sudden see people stop, um, stop 
subscribing or paying for your service, it's because something, you know, something else is out there. And I'll give you a really good example. So mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine that I used to work with. In fact, he's the guy that I said, his name's Phil. He's the guy that I was asking when I worked, we worked together at this big company. I was like, hey, what do you ever think of, would you ever want to be an entrepreneur? And he's like, no, I just like, I like a regular job, right? Mm -hmm. And so he used to be my golfing buddy. And so I texted him. He's living out in Pocatello, Idaho, which sounds exactly like it looks, I presume. I've been there. Yeah. So you say a place called Pocatello, you have a good sense of what it's going to yeah. be. Don't blink or you'll miss it. Exactly. And so he was, we were <laughs> end up talking back and forth. We were actually talking about college football. And he was telling me he didn't get, a, he didn't get the Aztecs, the San Diego State game on his. And I said, well, what, you know, what? service do you have? And he said, YouTube TV. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's weird. I said, I have direct TV now or whatever. It's a streaming version. I have it here. And he goes, oh, you ought to think about getting it. So I decided, okay, well, I try. I value his opinion. So I went out and I looked at it. First of all, it has more channels than mine has. It's $20 less. And you don't have to manually record stuff. You just tell them what shows you like, and it automatically records all of them. And there's mm -hmm. no DVR limit at ever. Mm -hmm. So like you can turn on a program halfway through the program and record and, and go all the way back to the beginning when your TV wasn't on and watch it from the beginning, even mm -hmm. if you weren't recording it. And mm -hmm. my point is I had had this service, this direct TV now forever, but the yeah. minute somebody comes out with something better, that's your market speaking. Yeah. You're going to react and you're going to lose business. So guess what I did yesterday? I canceled my direct TV now. Because wow. I went to this service. It's not that I like Google because Google's terrible, but AT&T is no better. Oh. But it's like once if, if you're not proactively trying to make your product the best product on the market, or you're not proactively trying to like figure right. out what the problems are, where are the, pock, where are the pock marks, where, where are the, um, the potholes in your product, if you're not trying to proactively figure that out ahead of time before your customers do in mass, mm -hmm. you're going to lose customers. And then it's not, it's not like, okay, well, my business is suffering. No, I was asleep at the wheel and I got to aim the blame back at me and mm -hmm. start working on that. And then when you start to fix it, the market will react as well. And you'll probably mm. start to get customers again. Yeah. So as an entrepreneur, your job is not to, has, your ego has no role in the company at all. The only role mm. it does is it actually keeps you from doing your job well. That's the only yeah. thing your ego has um, in the situation. Right. So I would say if you're, if you are an entrepreneur, if you want to be an entrepreneur, one of the, and going back to what you said, get the ego out of the way. Okay. You may be, think you're the best thing that ever walked the earth, but get the ego out of the way and really listen, listen to the people you're working with. Listen to your employees, listen to your customers, listen to your vendors. They will tell you what they think if they think you're open to listening, okay, and not uh, going to go flying off the handle like some loose cannon uh, and, and start uh, getting all emotional about it. Be rational about it, but I, it never ceases to amaze me how many entrepreneurs are so focused on how great their product is or how bad it is or whatever, they don't pay attention, they don't listen to what customers have to say. And they may say, oh yeah, that's just somebody who was upset and they gave me a bad review on Yelp. But 
they are just one person out of a hundred uh, and so forth and so on. Well, yes, but you need to be open. Okay. If I would say that if you're the CEO of a fortune 500 company, you're probably not asking the janitor if they think you're doing a good job. Okay. You might ask the janitor's union team boss if they think you're doing a good job. But if you're an entrepreneur, you may need to ask the janitor if they're doing a good job because the janitor might be a good source of information. He says, well, you're doing a good job, but did you know that uh, your employees are throwing away all of this X, Y, Z? I take it, in the, take it out every, every day in the trash. It's some, something useful for your company. They're all throwing it away. So there's points of information with, from the janitor, from the staff, from your, your vendors, especially listen to your vendors and listen to your customers and then listen to your staff and then listen to whoever else is involved. Listen, 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 okay? And, and don't get so full of your own ego that you think you have all the answers. That is the kiss of death. And if you're, you're either going to go downhill quickly or you're going to go downhill slowly. But either way, you are going to go into the ditch. So listen, listen, listen. Now, keep in mind, you may do everything as pos right as you possibly can. You may have a great product. Hire the best people, hire the best consultants, listen to your customers, get immediate feedback, make changes, adapt, pivot, improve your product, and still fail. Some big corporation could decide they're just going to eat your lunch. Or you may have another uh, entrepreneur uh, or someone else that comes along that has a better product for cheaper or they offer better service and you just can't compete. But keep in mind that the world is a big place, that maybe you won't be the number one, but maybe being number five is good enough. You're gonna be able to buy a nice house and feed your kids and send them to college and your wife will be reasonably happy, you know, with her few gifts. You're not gonna go to Tiffany's for her, but Anyway, you're going to be making enough money, you're going to be enjoying what you do, and you're going to see some potential for growth, but it just may not be everything that you thought it was going to be. you got to face that also, those possibilities. You are not going to be the next Uber, all right? But maybe you'll have a limo company with four or five limos in it, and you'll make a decent living, but you're not going to be the next Uber. You got to face that, that those facts. Got to face that reality as an entrepreneur. You can do everything right and still fail. And on the other side of the coin is you can do everything wrong and still manage to eke out a living. So there you go. Can't hear you. Oops, sorry, sorry, I had on mute. So what? with that there in mind, go. with that in mind, what you said about being the next Uber, um, the question is like, let's say you wanted to do a startup. Are you gonna be the next Uber? No. Are you gonna mm -hmm. be the next Facebook within a year? No, well, even Facebook wasn't the next Facebook within a year. <laughs> 
So I right. think part of it goes down to that thing where it talks about what's the best way to eat a turkey. Well, it's to eat it one small bite at a time. Mm. And I think one of the things that I thought about on this one, and, and I really believe in this, is the idea of having momentum in what you're going to do. You know, one of my old bosses, he always said that he said success is a habit, but he said yes. so is failure. But he said so is failure. Mm-hmm. And what and what he meant by that is that like, if you, well, first of all, if you fail all the time, you're going to get used to it. And it's going to change your mindset. And so what you need to do and successes are the same way is that you start with the, the smallest success possible and you want to get a success under your belt and then you get a bigger success. So like if you're going to, if, if I said, I want to learn how to, I want to take karate. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to start off fighting the black belt. <laughs> Right. I'm going to, you know, if I decide I want to do MMA, I'm not going to fly down to Miami and go spar with Jorge Masvidal. Like that's just not going to happen. But you want to start off with the white belt. You start out with the guy who's just starting out and you want to get a success under your belt. Mm. And the idea is you want to train your mind to have successes so that you can feel like if there's ever a challenge that you can, you can basically meet and overcome that challenge. Mm -hmm. So one of the things they talked about in this article was starting small. And I think the ideal, uh, the ability to have certain things where you start to feel like I have this great big goal way up here, but there's an innumerable or however many number of challenges or steps you need to get to get there. And I think, let's say you said, I want to have a business where I made, where I made a million dollars a year. And there's not many people that do that, but there are people that do that. Well, the you first thing income you need- or net? Uh, income, like, no, okay. like for yourself, not business income, but I want to okay. be paid. I want to earn a million dollars from this business in a year. Right. So the first thing you need to do is, well, you need to pick a business, pick a name, get it registered. I mean, some easy things to do. I, I, it's mm-hmm. always what I said, the low hanging fruit, pick the things that are just super easy and don't require a lot of effort. So it's like, mm-hmm. all right, well, how about you have a business. Let's say we use my slicker liquor one that we talked about last episode where it's like mm-hmm. the stuff that you sneak alcohol in, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing you do is get a domain, right? I wasn't at that point yet, but get slickerliquor.com. Get the Facebook page, get the Twitter, get whatever you're going to use. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Success. We nailed that down, okay? Mm-hmm. And then you pick things that are really easy to do and that you can start to realize, man, I can actually start to do this. So what happens is you train your mind that when you put your mind to something that you haven't done before, forget degree of difficulty, but that you haven't done before, that you can do them. And you want to have them be the simpler, the better. There's a guy who I listen to all his stuff. His name's Robert. Um, oh gosh, I want to say forget his last name, I think Fisher or whatever, but he always says there's no degree of difficult, there's no award for degree of difficulty in business. So in other words, you don't want to do things that are harder than they need to be. So when you're starting out and you don't have a track record in your own mind of success, you don't want to sit here and say, well, you know, I want to pay all this money to be on Joe Rogan's podcast and that's how I'm going to launch my business. Mm. No, pick the small stuff, start small. Start going to a networking event once COVID opens up, right? Um, sign up for a Facebook ad account. Sign up for a YouTube channel. Start your own podcast. You may have no idea what you're doing. You're doing what we're doing, just recording a video, talking about it. And then one of the things that's going to happen is you realize, okay, I did it. I was successful. But then what's going to happen is your standards for yourself are going to rise. 
And so you might put yourself on video and you realize, I really want the audio to sound a little better. And then you're going to say, okay, well, I need to get a better microphone. And that's going to lead to, well, what better microphone do I need? And then you're going to do research on that and find a microphone that works for you. Or maybe, mm-hmm. oh, I, oh, cool. I see these people doing green screens. I wonder how to do that. And you'll teach yourself how to do one versus the other versus the other. Or you say, mm-hmm. I don't know how to market my business. I don't know how to create ads that sell. Mm-hmm. Well, then the next thing you're going to do is you're going to start, because you're realizing that's your elevated your elevated standard, that's what you're going to start working on. And you don't even know it, but let's say a whole year goes by and you went from never owning or doing anything with a business to having a website that's operational, a mailing list where people are signing up. You have a a, a podcast or a video channel on YouTube going on. Um, Mm -hmm. You could do a podcast like we're doing and and with with almost no effort at all, put it on like almost a dozen major podcast platforms. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now it's like, all right, I'm, I'm kind of flowing. I'm kind of going, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not the black belt in the room, but I'm not the newbie coming in with a white belt either. I feel like I've got a sense that like I'm moving in the right direction and whatever challenge that is put in front of me, I can meet, I can meet that challenge. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the mindset as a business owner you want to have because you're always going to, there will be a time when you hit failure. You launch your first product, you launch your, you know, you launch your first product and nobody signs up, right? That's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's the first thing that you, if that's the first thing that you do and you have no success under your belt and your first thing is a massive failure, you know, you might give up. You know, and it's the same thing if like, if you want to lose weight, let's say somebody says, I, you know, I really want to get back to, you know, wear the clothes that I could wore, you know, before COVID hit and I drank and ate myself out of them. Right. Well, you don't have to lose 50 pounds in a day, mm-hmm. but let's just, let's just work on, how about this real easy one? Let's just not shop for potato chips. Right. Or let's throw not out. Have them in, don't, don't have them in the house. Don't have yeah. them in the cupboard. Yeah, we did that in our house. And it's like we went in and we threw all the ice cream away. We threw all the potato chips away. And it's like, all right, well, the next thing we're going to, and that's a small step, but it's a huge success. All Mm -hmm. right, now that we've done that, we all have a mind where we want to strive. We want what we don't have, right? So it's like, what's the next thing? Mm -hmm. Maybe we're going to go for walks in the neighborhood, or maybe we sign up for a Pilates class, or maybe we start working out one day a week, right? Um, or two days a week for 20 minutes or whatever it is. It's like, all right, you're moving in the right direction. And then your standards rise mm-hmm. and then you want to do more and more and more. And before you know it, um, you know, you're farther along that journey than you ever would have been otherwise. And I think that's one of the lessons they talked about in point four over here is just start small. You might have big dreams, but you want to be able to take small chunks and if you do that long enough, there's a term, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, there's a term in Japanese culture called Kaizen. Yes. Yeah. And in Toyota, you Continuous improvement. Exactly. And Toyota, that's the main part of their manufacturing platform is that if you, if you make, let's say, 500 small changes that are, seem unnoticeable, it has a parabolic effect in improvement. Yeah. And you where, just have where, to keep adding these small Kaizen-type changes. Right. Versus um, a, a, a philosophy of uh, good enough, sort of, maybe, you know. Yeah. And, and, it's the and, shoulder, and, it's the shoulder uh, shrug. Good <laughs> enough. It's like, eh, eh. But, you know, going, eh. back to what, going back to what you said, there's this little thing that they talked about, I've heard mentioned a million times, 
in, in getting my uh, first degree in, in management, organizational behavior, and my second degree in marketing called a business plan. <laughs> now, um, what's that? There are two, there's two schools of thought on the business plan. One is that it's absolutely essential and you should never start a business without it. And the other school of thought is, is a total waste of time and probably will be outdated by the time you finish it. And you'll probably spend too much time on it when you should be doing other things that are more important. Two schools of thought. Okay. Two philosophies. Now, of course, the reality is that it's somewhere in the middle. Again, it isn't the, it isn't something you should spend 80% of your time doing unless you see the, the, a positive result from it. And most, uh, most people that are starting a business don't really know how to put a good business plan together, but just the practice of doing it, just sitting down and saying, okay, what is my product? Uh, what is my marketing strategy? Uh, uh, what is, uh, who's going to be part of this, uh, either on a staff or executive level? What am I looking for in a team? Uh, you know, executive summary, like you said, um, what, how, much, how much money am I going to need to make this happen? How much money am I going to need, need to make it sustainable uh, under a best case and worst case scenario? Uh, what other kind of resources am I going to need? Who are going to be my vendors? What are going to be my products? What are going to be my services? Um, what's my IT uh, situation? How am I going to manage information? How am I going to process orders? Uh, uh, am I going to know my banker on a first name basis? What does he have to say about this business uh, opportunity or possibility? All those things are a great exercise, but they are not the answer. Obviously the answer is problem solving and execution. You could have the best business plan in the world. It could be 300 pages of detailed charts and analysis and uh, uh, psychological profiles of the executive team and all that. And your business never gets, never gets off the ground because you don't take effective action. But is it a good exercise to do? I think it's a great exercise to do. Whether it's 10 pages or 100 pages. They say the main reason that businesses put together, potential businesses or entrepreneurs put together a business plan is so they can take it to their banker to get money or take it to an investor, whether that's their rich uncle or, uh, or whether it's a bank or whether it's a group of uh, uh, guys that you play golf with on Sunday who happen to be multimillionaires or something, whatever it is. That's the main reason they say to put together a business plan. And that we could do a whole show on just that, okay? But the most important part of a business plan is the marketing strategy. Yep. That's the engine that drives sales. Sales drives income. Income drives profits. Profits are what you plow back into the business. You talk to any entrepreneur, oh yeah, we've been possible, we've been profitable for five years, but I haven't taken a salary. You know, everything has gone back into the business or I'm living on ramen in my uh, dad's basement, you know, but everything's going back into the business. Yes, we've been profitable or no, we haven't. Look at uh, that company that's uh, one of these days we're going to have a episode where we just talk about what's in Yahoo Finance. 
okay? The, 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 the news articles in Yahoo Finance, this company, uh, 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 what is it called? Uh, uh, deliver the stuff to your door. Amazon? No, cart, cart uh, something. Instacart. Instacart. Inst going, go, doing an IPO, okay? And their claim to fame is they only lost 150 million this year. <laughs> their valuation is hundreds of millions of dollars, but they only lost 150 million this year. That's good news because the year before that, they lost 250 million. You see? Right. So it depends on how you're playing the game. Look, if you're playing stickball in the alley with a couple friends or, or, or you're laying up basketball shots, uh, you know, with a couple of your buddies and there's no, there's no net on the basket and it's just cement and uh, whoever, you know, shoots, shoots, that's one thing, okay? But if you're, you're talking about running a major league baseball franchise, okay, that's a whole different dealio. It's a whole different ball game. You've got to understand where you are on that, on, on, on what level your business is operating. You've got to really look at that carefully. Now, Airbnb doing an IPO for billions. Uh, I feel sorry for Jack Ma. He was going to have the biggest IPO, but you know, some old Chinese guys that smoke five packs of cigarettes a day told him, uh, no, not happening. Uh, <laughs> not this year. Anyway, we're changing the rules. We're moving the goalposts. In fact, we're changing the whole game. <laughs> you can't, you showed up to play football and we're now playing hockey. <laughs> you know, <laughs> The whole thing is crazy, but so, uh, I, uh, I I'm just saying to you entrepreneurs out there, and I want to have a show. We're going to have a show in the future. I'm announcing this, Matt. We're going to have a show in the future where we in, we're going to invite an entrepreneur to participate with us on the show. Oh, that'd be great. And he's going to give us some information about his business and some of his challenges. And we're going to take some of his top three challenges, let's say, for example, or quandaries or, 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 or problems. And we're going to actually address those in our podcast and talk to him and ask him the kind of questions he needs to ask himself that he's probably not asking himself. And we may not come up with, uh, you know, complete solutions, but we're going to, we're going to show him what he needs to do in order to get the solutions he needs at the very yep. least. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And by the way, I've posted that on LinkedIn. And I'm curious to see how many entrepreneurs will raise their hand and say, yes, we'd like to be on the podcast. So we'll see what happens, but I, I'd love to do that in uh, some, it could be something we do even once a month in the future, just announcing that. Yeah, no, it'd be great. It'd be great. And I think part of it is just, you know, so people can see kind of the average person out there that they can relate to that, you know, mm -hmm. kind of the things we're talking about are real and they can impact, you know, kind of what right. you do. Right. All right, so let's talk about number five. This one I love. This one was the one that I got really excited about when I read it. Uh -huh. um, so just to recap, one through four, um, explore a range of options, including the unthinkable. That was what we mm -hmm. talked about, what the worst case scenario could be in planning for it. Number two is imagine your best possible future and giving yourself you know, kind of your own highlight reel. Mm -hmm. Number three was building capabilities relevant to your, super, your future self. 
-hmm. which is basically, as you put it really well, is raising your level of incompetence or your Peter principle. Uh, number four, we just hit on was starting small. Uh, number five, it says, be ruthless about what you need to leave behind. Mm. Um, and so a lot of times, you know, one of the things they write here is that it's hard to give up things which you've invested a lot of time, effort, and energy. It's the old easy sunk to be cost. And that's where I was going with that. It's easy to be nostalgic about the past, especially when facing uncertainty in the present. But moving forward means taking a clear-eyed view of what's no longer serving you and giving yourself the space to pursue something new. And the sunk cost was exactly what I was thinking. Now, they, you know, when I was in my MBA program, they said the number one rule of business is <laughs> – do not make any business decisions based on sunk costs. So you just bought something. It was real, let's say you were a business. You just bought this expensive software suite and you realize it just doesn't work for your team. Mm -hmm. Well, the worst thing you could do is say, well, I just spent $20,000 on this software suite. We're going to use it because I spent money on it. No, mm. if it doesn't work, you wasted 20 grand. That's your lesson. As my CPA calls it, he calls it a stupid tax. Mm -hmm. That's your stupid tax <laughs> and you move on. And so, but part of it is it goes beyond business. It goes, it goes, it goes down to a simple question. Do you want to live your life based on, on a future that you want to have, or do you want to live life based on the reminiscing of a past? And the thing is about the past, you can't go back to your past. And so for me, this was before, way before I ever started in business, I was living in Cincinnati at the time. And um, I was living in an okay neighborhood. And then like, I started to realize I had this vision of myself and I didn't realize Tony Robbins also said the same thing, but it was like, I viewed my life as like a whiteboard. And I said, if I just erased everything on there, I could literally just design the type of life that I want. Hmm. And I always said to myself, like, if I'm 80 years old, sitting in a rocking chair on some porch somewhere and saying, if I could go back to this year, whatever year it was, and in this instance, the year was 1996, what would I do differently in that year? And it, what, the idea wasn't to come up with an answer. The idea was just to say, whatever that answer is, I'm going to start doing that now. Mm. And so I didn't know I was going to move out to California, but I was like, yeah, you know, my friends live on the other side of town. It's a much cooler part of town. So I said, fine, I'm moving. I'm just going to go. It wasn't a big deal. Small thing. Like we talked about in item four, we start small. And then I realized like I did want to move to somewhere warmer. And so I was thinking about Florida because I have friends down there. I used to live down there, but it's like, I also want to play baseball and it rains a lot in Florida. So that doesn't always happen. And then my friend from high school was living in LA. He was kind of an aspiring actor. He was on, uh, what is it? Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, I think, was, ooh. Ooh, which is a horrible show to be on because everybody's wearing a mask, so you never actually get to see him, right? <laughs> so <laughs> Kind of like the Spice Girls. Yeah, Just well, kidding. no, Just it's, kidding. it's it's, it's kind of like being on the mask singer, but <laughs> yeah, like never right. taking your mask off, right? Right, I, I was so, just joking. Yeah, no, for sure. So, but then it was like, <laughs> I said to myself, what, what do I want my life to look like? And I was like, as soon as I realized, you know, you move to California and it's like, it doesn't rain. Mm. Uh, the weather's, I mean, the weather's always nice. You can ski, mm. like theoretically, you can ski and go to the beach the same day, which I've done before, which is awesome. Yeah. Um. At the time, and I'm not sure where it is now, but at the time, San Diego was the lowest crime rate of any city over 500,000 people in the country. Mm. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is great. And it's like, and so I started to research, like, you know, okay, what would be involved in a move? And then I saw the cost of rent, and I'm like, 
what? It was literally double what I was paying. Like I had a two bedroom apartment all to myself and to get, I would spend that exact same amount to share, to have a bedroom in a smaller apartment. Yes. And so I was like, all right. But then I started to realize, wait a minute, like people make more money in San Diego. So it's like, it's, it kind of works out, you know? Mm. So anyway, I, I said, the heck with it. I said, a time, I said, I said a date. I said, by the end of June of 1998, I'm going to move out. And June 27th, I moved out and I got here June 30th. But it was one of these things where it was like, I had a vision of what I wanted and it was not the past. I was like, I, and I remember leaving, this is, this is what it talks about. Be ruthless about what you need to leave behind. And when I left, I remember, you know, I had to, I was emptying out an apartment. I had furniture to get rid of and all this other stuff to get rid of. And so sure. I was, you know, putting all, selling, selling stuff on classifieds back when they were classifieds. I was selling stuff on classifieds. I remember back in Ohio, you have snow brushes and ice scrapers for your car. And I remember walking those out to the trash dumpster. And I was like, it was almost like a ceremony. Like, this is it. It's official. Like, I'm definitely never going to need these again. Mm -hmm. And I remember leaving. And I was thinking, yeah, I have no problem leaving. I was dating a girl. I told her nine months earlier, I said, don't invest in this relationship. <laughs> I wouldn't invest in this relationship if I were you because I'm not going to be here. I'm leaving in the summer. Nine and months it earlier. never changed. Yeah. And then it never changed. And it was like, <laughs> all right, six months, three months. I, all right. And like two weeks, I'm leaving. Hey, next Tuesday, I'm leaving, you know? And it was like, <laughs> this is the life that I want to have. And I have to literally, I can't, there's an old saying in baseball, you can't steal second if you're standing on first. That's right. And so I was like, I don't, it doesn't matter if what I'm leaving behind is good or bad. It's irrelevant. There's no mm -hmm. value judgment or whatever on it. But it's like, I value what I want in the future way more than what I had in the past. I can always look back, no matter what I do, I can always look back and say, oh, wasn't it cool back then? Mm. But if I, do, if, if I take my, if I focus all my energy on that, then I, I'm literally blinding myself. I'm putting a blinder like, uh a blindfold over my eyes right. and I'm keeping right. myself from achieving it. And so yes. next thing you know, it's like you live in a place where you live right by the beach. You know, it's the weather's nice. People are nice. I mean, all these things are working out. You make more money, you're paying off debt, you're saving more. I mean, all this kind of good stuff is happening. Um, and then you start to realize, man, I just drove 2,500 miles across country and this is back in 98 so i didn't have a cell phone mm. i had a map i had maps right like those fold-out maps um and i remember driving through indian reservations going i don't know when the next gas station is going to be you know like <laughs> i literally have no clue you, did you um, carry some extra with you in the trunk oh no 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 everything i could fit in my car went in the trunk oh Right. Yeah, I wasn't that smart, Al. Could have tied it to smart. the roof. You could have tied a, a jerry can to the I roof. I wish. I wish I would have met you back then because I probably would have done <laughs> I wish that. I would have met you back then. Yeah. I would have made some much better real estate decisions. But that's yeah. all I have to say about that. Fair. Fair enough. But but it's <laughs> funny. It's, it's you start to do things and you start to realize like I can do anything that I want to do. And it's like once you once you have no problem cutting bait and saying yeah, the past was great or the past was terrible. Maybe you had a terrible past. Maybe you had a great past. Mm -hmm. It's like it, it pales in comparison to what I want to happen. Right. And so when I decided I wanted to start a business, it was like, I remember I was working at, as a senior manager. I was one, sh I was one step shy of the executive board. Mm. And I remember saying to myself, I got my last review, my review, and I came home and I told my wife, I just said, I just had the last review I'm ever going to have in my life. Hmm. 
and I, cause I said by the end of June, I don't know what's with June. I always do it in June, but I was like by June, cause that's when my birthday is I, I, by June. I'm going to, I'm, if I don't have the revenue up to where it needs to be, I'm just going to cut bait in June and we're going for it. Wow. And, uh, but it forced me to make decisions. Like I can't sit around and sit on my thumbs for six months and wait until, until June. I have to work now. Like January is important. February yes. is important. March yes. is important. Yes. And I have to work really hard toward that. It forced me to really put everything I had into it um, to get to that goal. But if I had sit here and said, well, I'm going to hedge, like, I really want to do this, but I've been so, you know, the last 10 years have been great at this company. Mm-hmm. I have no urgency and mm-hmm. I'm really not going to put my best foot forward and give myself the best opportunity to have the type of life that I want. And so like even everything, so what I've started to do, and I want to hear your take on this, but mm-hmm. what I started to do, even everything I do, I always have like a super end payoff goal. And so like during COVID, I've been doing day trading, which by the way, this last week and a half has been awesome. Oh, I um, can all imagine. My, well, no, even better. All my mm. stocks are oil, casino, and travel stocks, which are going through the, I mean, ridiculously through the roof. You said you were going to do that a couple yep. of episodes ago, and it looks like it's paying off for you, my friend. Yeah. And so I have a goal. And so I had a goal that, and I talk about it in my videos on my, my YouTube channel. It's like, this isn't just money to make. So it's like, oh, okay, this is enough money. I have a goal. Mm-hmm. Like there's a beach house. I don't know where, what the address is yet. Um, but this money is going toward a beach house. Mm-hmm. And so I have a reason to be very diligent and to be very focused and to be very like looking exactly where I need to get. And I know my cutoff point. I know the mm-hmm. dollar amount that I want to have where I'm just going to go, all right, cool. Detach and <laughs> let's go. And so I'm not going to be greedy and I'm not going to chase the next dollar. But once we hit 300,000, we're getting a beach house. Nice. And I don't know where it is. Or at least a down payment on one. Well, no, it's not going to pay the whole thing. That's for sure. This is San Diego. Yeah. But it's going to allow us to have a big down payment on, you know, on a house down there. Are you going to rent it out for nine months out of the year? No, we're going to live there. But like we have a house right now and we would sell that one or rent that one Mm. out. Uh, depending on you know what the numbers look like, and then move down okay. there. But the whole Just point is like make I have. Make sure you a, have a jerry can of gasoline uh, yes, tied to the I, roof of your car. That's all I'm make, saying. And and make sure you have KPIs for your real estate. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Key performance indicators. Uh, I'm a numbers guy. Right. I know. That's beautiful, man. But anyway, the whole point is like for me, I however much I like my life or don't like what's going on. Whatever I have for my goal for my future, I'm not, I, I know, like, if I can get the goal that I want for the future over here, mm-hmm. this scissors is going to cut the cord to my mm. current situation, and I have right. zero problem with that. Right. If you want to fly to Mars, like you just said, astronauts that took off the other day, if you want to mm-hmm. go to Mars, the scariest thing you ever do is not launching into space, it's leaving orbit. Mm. Because mm-hmm. then there's no turning around. Yeah. And so whatever girl you have, it's like, don't be afraid. Like if you, like, I remember when I moved here to, to California, it was a guy on my baseball team. It was the exact opposite. So I was telling him, I was like, yeah, you know, in June, I'm going to move into California. And he goes, he goes, yeah, must be nice, huh? I'd love to move to, to San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, and, and I, I still remember this, like it happened yesterday. I said to him, I'm like, well, why don't you? Mm-hmm. And all I heard was the teacher from Peanuts. Wah, 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 wah. I don't know what he said. I literally have no clue what he said. 
And I said, listen, if you want to move to San Diego, then move there. Yeah. But if you don't, if, but if you're going to sit here and give all the reasons why you can't do it, don't go tell him. And this is like a good friend of mine. So I'm being like kind of rude to him in a way, but in a friend way. And I'm Abrupt. like, if you, but if you, yeah. but if you're going to come up, I said, if, if all you're going to come up with reasons why you can't move, don't tell me you want to move to San Diego because you don't. Right. I said, I'm I want to do it. I'm, I'm going, I'm not even right. giving thought to it. I've, I right. had never been West of Chicago. Right. And I was uplifting everything to a point where I can't take the Al Horn gas tank and put it in a gas can and put it in my trunk because I don't have any room. <laughs> or you, strap to the roof of my car. Either the roof or you strap it to the front, you know. Um, but, uh, okay, so I, I think we probably, I, I do want to kind of uh, make some comments about what you said and stuff. I, and I know that we're coming up on two hours now. And I think we should have a policy in the future obviously what we're saying is very important and needs to be said, but we, we probably should limit our, 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 uh, our, our podcast to two hours. I think we're coming up on two hours, but anyway, as far as studying the past, living in the past and uh, uh, thinking about the past, if that's what you want to do, become a historian. Okay. Don't become an entrepreneur. It's good to evaluate things, evaluate them and move on. I liked what you said about creating a sense of urgency. If all you're going to do is think about, wouldn't it be nice if, or I might going to get around to doing that, you may need to create some kind of sense of urgency to get off the, get off first base, start running for second. Because if you don't have that sense of urgency, um, you're probably not going to make the change. You're probably not going to do what you need to do. You're not going to take the risk. However, I can't think of a, a time in my life when people have had more of a sense of urgency than they do right now with COVID and, and, and uh, difficult, uncertain, challenging times and not knowing if they're going to lose their job or keep their job or get a new job or whatever. So there isn't I can't think of a much more urgent time to want to become an entrepreneur than with the times we live in now. So I'm saying that. Now, I was surprised when I heard that the, uh, that the uh, astronauts were going to get on board a SpaceX and go out to the International Space Station. Because, you know, up to this point, the only way to get out there is to uh, take a rocket in uh, Kazakhstan, southern Kazakhstan. There's a city there called Space City, and the Russians originally called it something else because it was all secret, but now it's, they gave it the real name, Space City, and I saw a special on uh, Prime or Netflix about it, and uh, this is where American astronauts have been going to the space shuttle courtesy of a hitching a ride with the Russians, the Ruskies, so, yeah. um, and it was a really interesting show. Um, Oh, A Year in Space, it was called. Um, Kelly, the guy, uh, John Kelly, I think his name is. Last name is Kelly. He spent a year on the, on the International Space Station, and they did a documentation, did a documentary about it. But anyway, when I heard they were going to launch it, all I could think about is how many times SpaceX rockets have crashed to Earth <laughs> while they were perfecting what it is that they're doing. So if I was an astronaut, I would either look at, you could either look at it one way, which is, my God, they've failed so many times. 
or you could look at it the other way as I feel pretty confident because they did fail so many times. And they figured out what those problems were and they know what they're doing and they just launched 84 satellites or whatever it was at one time that they did and all that other amazing stuff that they did. So I think the chances are good that it isn't going to crash to earth. And I will make it to the space station. So there's two ways you can look at it. You have to have a vision of what you want to create, a sense of urgency, look at the past, but don't dwell in it. Make your mistakes, learn from your mistakes, and move forward and make it happen. That's why I have a passion to work with entrepreneurs, because in my opinion, my belief is entrepreneurs are really the people that make it happen and they take the risks and they get amazing rewards too. Um, but they are the people who are really making a difference in the world. Not the people that are writing 500 page books about how the world is going to be if it all works out. I'm talking about entrepreneurs are doing it. They're in the trenches. They're making it happen. They're failing, they're learning, they're solving problems, and they're executing. And that's why I love entrepreneurship. And that's all I have to say about that for right now. All right. So one last point, and then we'll close off for the day. I'd say number one, um, anytime you're going into a new venture, whether it's going to the space station, launching a business, or just trying to get more... Uh, I guess, security in your life. It just requires stepping out and improving yourself. You want to raise your, elevate your Peter principle, your level of incompetence. Um, and as you do so, you're going to discover that you have a bigger future than you ever thought was possible because, you know, we just are kind of simple, simple creatures. So <laughs> I would say, don't be afraid of venturing off into something new, whatever that means for you, because it's always going to pay off in the end. What's, what's your thought as we close off? Well, I don't know if it'll pay off in the end, uh, but I'll tell you what, you'll grow as a person, you'll learn. And if you just wanna sit in a cubicle and do what you've always done uh, or work for the post office or you know, be a fry cook or whatever, that's all, that's great, that's, that, that's, that's fine. But if you want to grow, if you wanna push your boundaries, if you wanna change the world, if you wanna make a difference, if you want to live your passion, be an entrepreneur and listen to our podcast and we'll help you. All right. That's right. So my name's Matt. I'm Al. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today on the Halicean Horn podcast. You've just taken the crucial step to finally take control of where your life is going by joining us on the road to entrepreneurship. The path to your new amazing destiny has only just begun. You're already ahead of 99% of the people around you because you're finally taking control of your life and making the choice to claim your new destiny. We'd love to help you in any way we can along your journey. So take a minute to reach out to us. You'll find our contact information in the show notes. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified as soon as the newest episode drops. And if you haven't yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, what are you waiting for? Don't wait. Do it now. Can't wait to meet up for our next episode, and we'll see you soon.